0: Romans chapter 8 y'all hear that in your sleep Romans chapter 8 I hope so Romans chapter 8 <clears throat> we've uh, gotten down to verse 12 this morning the text is Romans 8 verses 12 and 13 says so then brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live according to the flesh; for if you live according to the flesh you will die, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body you will live in these verses Paul is talking about the obligation that we have to live a holy life now holiness is a subject about which we have been uh, talking about for quite some time around here. On Wednesday nights, we're doing a study in holiness, and in, here in Romans chapter 8, we've talked a lot about being holy. Uh, we need to remember what, the apostle, what what the writer to the Hebrews tells us is that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You cannot come into the presence of God unless you are holy. And so Paul here, uh, having in chapters 5 and 6 and 7 and talking about being justified freely by the grace of God and at how we have been uh, saved by the work of God, and only by the work of God, by the way, you and I contribute nothing to our salvation except the sin that made it necessary the only thing. So now Paul is moving into, uh, once you have been saved, here's what that looks like. And that's all holiness is. Holiness is living according to who you are now in Christ. And if you are someone who uh, is now under no condemnation because you're in Christ... Paul says this is what that looks like. But Paul not only uh, points out that we have an obligation to live a holy life, we need to understand that he also points out that we have the ability to live that holy life. Look there at the last part there in uh, verse, look at verse 11. I mean, sorry, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the obligation and the ability uh, to live a holy life are both grounded in the fact that we are believers. If... If you are a believer and and Paul here, he uses this word Uh, there in verse 11. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, Uh, verse 13, for if you live according to the uh, flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit. Alright, you see what Paul's saying here? Paul is saying that, look, I need to check my heart. I need to see where I am. This is what Paul talked about last week uh, in, in the verses that we looked at, that if we, we either live according to the flesh or we live according to the Spirit. And if we live according to the flesh, it will be evident in our life. If we live according to the Spirit, that will be evident in our life. If we live according to the flesh, it brings nothing but death. But if we live according to the Spirit... It brings life. It brings life. Notice uh, there in verse 12, Paul says, So then, now some of your translations may say, Therefore. But what Paul is saying, so then, brothers, this goes back to what he's been talking about before. Uh, It it points us back to what he had just said. Paul is arguing that we as believers, we have an obligation to live according to the Holy Spirit rather than according to our sinful nature. Now, when we get saved, saved, we are saved in three tenses. I have been saved, I am being saved, I will be saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's why he could say there's no condemnation. We are being saved from the power of sin. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And then as we will see as we get close to the end of this chapter, where Paul talks about you know, those who are predestined and called and justified are glorified. And that's when we will be freed and and. From the very presence of sin. But here Paul is talking about uh, that that you and I, we are no longer under the power of sin. And and we have an obligation to live according to our new nature, not according to our sinful nature. Now, I still sin. I don't know about you. Well, yeah, I do know about you. You do sin. (laughs) We all sin every day. But I want to tell you, folks, there is a a world of difference between falling into a sin and living in sin. And that's what Paul's talking about here. That's what John talks about in 1 John. So we need to understand that we uh, need to live according to the Spirit. If you go back to verses 10 and 11, he says, But if Christ is in you... Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead... Uh, will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The Holy Spirit has joined us to Christ, and we have been delivered from the wrath of God. Now, let me just stop right here and address you this morning and say, are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? Now, when I say a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I mean a follower of Christ. You're not just someone who believes that he is. Is Jesus Christ, by faith, your Savior and your Lord this morning? Because I want you to know that if he is not, you abide under the wrath of God. God is not your friend. He is your enemy. And this is not who Paul is talking to here. Paul is talking to those where he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, does the spirit of Christ dwell in you? Paul says in another place there, he says, if he doesn't, he said, you don't belong to Christ. And if we don't belong to Christ, then we are under the wrath of God. But the Holy Spirit, he comes and he joins us to Christ. And when we are in Christ, we are delivered from the wrath of God. We have been given a new nature. Second Corinthians 517, Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a whole new creation. Jesus did not come to make us better people. He came to make us a whole new creation. And, and and if we are a new, if we have that new nature, then we are now made alive to spiritual things. Let me ask you a question. How do you feel about sin? You know, I think that is one of the telltale signs of a person, a professing believer, as opposed to a possessing believer. Those who profess Christ as opposed to those who prof- who possess Christ. How do you feel about sin? What does your sin do to you when you sin? How do you deal with it? Do you excuse it? Do you ignore it? Or do you repent and confess? That's the difference that it makes right there. So Paul says, we have been assured of an entirely new destiny. That's what he's talking about there in verse 11, when he says, if the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Jesus has been risen from the dead. You believe that? Let me tell you something, folks. If you truly believe that Christ is living from, is risen from the dead, I want to tell you something. It will make you live differently. And I can give you an example of that. <clears throat> there were these men and women who used to follow Christ around. And then one day, Jesus was arrested. And all the disciples who said, Lord... I'll even die with you. Well, they took their tails and they ran. And Jesus was alone. And Jesus was taken. and He was taken into a kangaroo court and he was condemned to death. And these disciples, these men who had followed him for three and a half years, who pledged their loyalty to him, were hiding and cowering and scared for their lives. Can you imagine Jesus after he's crucified hanging on for six hours one Friday? He's taken down from the cross. He's placed in a tomb. A borrowed tomb, by the way. How many of you when you die are just going to borrow a grave? Well, he would borrowed one because he knew he wouldn't need it very long. <laughs> but you know, while he was in that grave those disciples were hiding in the upper room and they jumped at every sound they've arrested our leader we're next the Romans are coming after us next and then on the third day there was a knock at the door and I'm sure when that knock came they all jumped somebody peeked out and said hey it's Mary let her in and Mary rushes in and says, you are not going to believe who I just saw. You're not going to believe who I just talked to. Jesus is alive. Peter and John, they run to the grave. John's faster than Peter. And he gets there quick. You know what they find inside there? It wasn't empty. Jesus was gone, but the grave clothes were still there. They go back to the upper room. They don't know what to make of this. Now, folks, here's the thing. For three and a half years, Jesus has said to them over and over and over and over and over, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to deliver me up to death. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. You know, when he walked out of that tomb, every one of the disciples should have been there waiting on him. But their faith was no better than ours. But they're in that upper room, and then all of a sudden, every shadow is gone. And the room is filled with light. And there stands Jesus. There He is. From that point on, those men and women who were cowering for their lives, those men and women who thought... It's all over. It's all done. He's dead. Now we're going to die. But from the moment that he stood there in that room in front of them and said, yes, it's me. And, yes, I'm alive. They went and turned the world upside down. They turned the mighty Roman Empire on its head. And they said, you want to kill us? Fine, kill us. That just means we get to go be with him. They didn't care. Their lives meant nothing to them anymore because they now lived for Him. Listen, that's what Paul is talking about here. If the Spirit of Him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and if you're saved, He does. The Holy Spirit has joined us and we are assured of an entirely new destiny. We did not do this for ourselves. You need to understand. I, I got into a discussion. <laughs> with someone the other day about this, folks. I want to tell you something. If you're saved, you didn't do it. And it wasn't your choice. And it wasn't your idea. It was all God's from beginning to end. And, and, and that's what we're, we're going to talk more about that when we get to chapter 9. I'm excited to get in chapter 9 because I love chapter 8. But listen, we did not do this for ourselves. Paul, look, look back up at verse uh, 3. For God has done, okay, those four words mean everything. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. But we notice here, God is the one who did this. God is the one who has who, who planned our salvation. God is the one who, inst- who who orchestrated our salvation. You and I had no input. You and I had nothing to do with it. You understand that? We cannot take credit for any of it because once we do, where is it? There it is. Soli Deo Gloria. You see, all... Of those right there, that one, that one, that one, and that one lead to that one. To God alone be the glory. Not to me, not to you, but to God alone. So we have been given a new nature, and we are uh, no longer obligated to live for ourselves. But we have an obligation, we have a heart now to live for God. Because, because God did. For us, what the law weakened by the flesh couldn't do, because God did this. So Paul says there in verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. He says, you owe your flesh nothing. Can I tell you something, folks? We owe our flesh nothing. We owe our enemy, Satan, nothing. We owe this Christ-rejecting world nothing. We owe them nothing. The flesh has no valid claim upon the believer of Christ. We are under no obligation to yield to the flesh and to the temptations of sin. We owe nothing to sin, Satan, or the world. The only thing we owe to to those three is a deep hatred and a determined opposition. We owe that to the flesh, the world, the flesh, and the devil is hatred and opposition. We are, however, debtors. We are debtors. We are debtors to the Father, as we just talked about, for His electing love, because God, before the foundation of the world, you realize what a what a, what a, a miraculous thing this is? This is something right here that should put us on our knees before God. That before God ever created anything, He knew me. And he said, I'm going to save him. He hasn't even done anything yet. (laughs) But I'm going to save him. Not because he's done anything good or bad. But because I love him. And I'm God. And if you're saved, he said the same about you. Paul says, while we were dead in our trespasses and sins... God made us alive in Christ before the foundation of the world. We owe God. We are debtors to God for His grace. Have you experienced the grace of God? And Don't get the idea that grace is is a one-time thing. Grace is an everyday moment-by-moment thing but it was grace paul says it is by grace you've been saved but it is by grace that we live have you experienced the grace of god listen i love what bodie mockum says he says do you realize that grace woke you up this morning because the wrath of god should have last night because we're all sin. And we do not deserve what God has done. But God has sho- He has uh, showered us with blessings and all the spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. There in verse 3. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It was the Father who laid our sins on Christ, First John chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and gave His Son as a propitiation for our sins, in other words, as a substitute for our, in our place. This is what God has done for us. Now I ask you, do we owe God? Yes, we are debtors to God. But we are not only debtors to the Father, we're also debtors to the Son. Jesus is the active agent in our redemption, the second person of the Trinity. This one who came, you know, next month we will be celebrating Christmas. We'll have a manger scene up here on this table right here. A little miniature manger scene. Now I want to tell you something, folks. That little baby, by the way, he's not a baby anymore. We need to remember that. But when we look at that baby, do you know what you see? You see God clothed in human flesh. Jesus came. He is the active agent in our, in our salvation in our redemption, and he accomplished everything that salvation required. Jesus lived perfectly according to the law. Jesus lived a sinless life. Jesus came and he endured suffering. He endured shame. He endured beatings. I mean, have you ever read in the Gospels what they did to Christ? They came and arrested him. Now, you know, there was a point where the disciples said, Lord, we're not going to let this happen. Now, again, remember what they did. They ran. But you know what Jesus said? He said, do you not think that I could ask my father and he would not send 12 legions of angels? That's a lot. But he says, I'm not going to ask him to do that. And they took Christ and they arrested him and they took him and they beat him and they punched him in the face and they pulled out his beard. They blindfolded him and punched him and said, tell us, prophet, who punched you? He knew, by the way. They pulled out his beard. They put a crown of thorns on his head till the blood began to run down. And then they took him and they nailed him to a cross for six hours, naked, shameful. People mocking him. If you're the Christ, come down and we'll believe you. He saved others, let him save himself. And Jesus hung there on that cross for me and for you. Surely an eternity of love and service and praise can never repay what we owe the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. We we are debtors to the Father, we are debtors to the Son, and we are indebted to the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who convicts us of our sin. It is the Holy Spirit who shows us our pardon in Christ. It is the Spirit of God who comes to dwell in us, uh, comforting us and sanctifying us. It's the indwelling power of the Spirit of God. We are debtors. And we can never repay God, the Trinitarian God, for what he has done for us. So do you agree, before we go on, do you agree that you are indebted to God? That you owe him? Because what you deserve, what I deserve, is the deepest, darkest corner of hell for eternity. But that's not what I'm going to get. But it's not because I'm a good person. Because I'm not. It's not because I always do the right thing because I don't. It is not because I do or don't do anything. It's because of what Christ has done. That's why. So we owe him. And in verse 13 he says, Well, verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, if you go back to what we talked about last week, what did Paul say? Let's go back here and read this. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit for to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those, those who are in the flesh are those that are unsaved. And I want to tell you something, folks. If you are unsaved this morning, if you have never by faith submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, then there is nothing, absolutely nothing in your life that pleases God. Nothing. There's, God doesn't say, well, you know, they're doing the best they can. He doesn't say that there is no, there are no scales where God puts your good on one side and your bad on the other side to see which way it goes. By the way, you know, if he did do that, if this was the bad and this was the good, it would always be like this. No matter what, always, ever, never change. It would always be that way. So we need to understand. So Paul says here. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, this is a natural occurrence in the life of a child of God. You will learn more and more to hate sin. You know, in our study on holiness, on Wednesday nights, one of the things that I told him was this, that when I got saved, I had a lot of sinful habits. Anybody identify with that? Yeah, you all do, by the way. When I got saved, you know that there were some of those sinful habits that immediately went away. I gave up. There were some that took me years to get past. There are some that I haven't overcome. But that's the sanctification process. That's what Paul's talking about. You know, John Owen, the Puritan, John Owen, a wonderful quote that is quoted is probably the most famous quote from that book. And he says this be or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Holiness or the killing of sin is the obligation to which uh, this indebtedness. But let me ask you a question, folks. Do you. Grateful for what God has done in your life that, that you were dead in trespasses and sins. Now you're alive in Christ. Are you you grateful to God for that? You know what? God says, if you are, then you will hate what caused all this to happen. As Charles Spurgeon used to say, how can I love the very thing that crucified my Lord? My sin. Sin originates in the heart. It's the center of our being. When I say heart, when the Bible uses heart, I'm not talking about this muscle that beats in our chest that pumps blood, the heart of, of, is talking about who we truly are. And Jesus Himself, in, in the Gospel of Matthew, He says, "It is from the heart comes murders and adulteries and fornications and and lying and stealing and all these things. They come from the heart." But uh, God. And believers have a role in this. God alone saves us. It is to the glory of God alone. But you and I, in the process of sanctification, is what we call the—that's the, called monergistic. This is called synergistic. Synergistic just simply means co-laborer. We are co-laborers with God. We are sa- we are sanctified by the Spirit of God and His power. But we must take an active role. In doing away with our sin. The work of the Spirit is not and never was designed to be a substitute for the personal work of the believer. We have a responsibility. And that responsibility is that I stay in God's Word. That I meditate on God's Word. That I store God's Word in my heart. That I get on my knees before God and I pray and I pray. And when those temptations come, I say, I don't have to do that anymore. You're not my master anymore. I don't have to obey my fleshly lusts anymore. I don't have to do that. But I still do. But you know what's wonderful about that? You know it's a wonderful thing when I say I still do. Because in saying that I still do. But I can say that I don't still do. Like I used to still do. And hopefully tomorrow. I won't still do even more or less than what I still do today. You see how that works? So this is the work of God's Spirit in our lives. Uh, the Spirit's influence does not release us from responsibility. Throughout the Bible, we read phrases like, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Building yourselves up. But now we can nev- we must not miss the, 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 the point that Paul's making when he says here in verse 13, "But if by the spirit you put to death the, best of the de- that, you put to death the deeds of the body." I can't do it. I am totally powerless. But when I walk by faith in the power of the Spirit of God, then I can do these things we must be ever striving against sin. You know, if you have never read, I know that y'all get tired of me hearing me say this, but I'm going to tell you again. If you have never read the the second, okay, you know what the best-selling book in the world is, right? The Bible. Anybody know what the second best-selling book in the history of the world is? It's a book called Pilgrim's by John Bunyan, Puritan John Bunyan, and it is one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life, outside the Bible. And if you've never read that book, it is a beautiful allegory of the Christian life. And and I bring that up because one of the things that happens throughout that book is this, this man, whose name is Christian, he is ever striving, pushing onward, climbing higher, Striving against sin. And you and I must continue to do this. We must continue to strive against sin. And if by the Spirit, Paul says, you put to death the deeds of the body, it is the Spirit that makes me more conscience, conscious of my sin. Now, one of, the, one of the early church fathers said, and I agree with this, the holier you become, the less holy you will perceive yourself to be. Because the holier you become, the more you will see your sin. And the Holy Spirit, He he makes me more conscious of my sin. It is the Spirit that deepens my desire for holiness before God. It is the Spirit of God living in me that that says, if, if no man will see God without being holy, then I want to be holy. And I will tell you this morning, If you sit here and you are listening to what I'm saying, then listen to this more than anything else. If you believe yourself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you believe yourself to be saved, but you have no hatred of sin and no love of holiness, you're a liar. You're not a follower of Christ. Because the Spirit of God will not let that... uh, God never saves a man and lets him continue to live like the world. And the Spirit of God who lives in me deepens that desire for holiness. And and above all, the Spirit puts to death sin in the believer by pointing us to the cross. <clears throat> you realize that the cross is the pinnacle of history? We have there on the cross Jesus pointing two different directions, to the past and to the future. Pointing to the, fast and to the past and all through the Old Testament. And listen, from the very first word of Genesis to the very last word of Malachi, do you know what that whole, uh, the, that whole section of the Old Testament's about? It's about Jesus. <laughs> from the very first word of Matthew to the very last word of Revelation, do you know what that whole section's about? It's about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Christ. And the Holy Spirit and the cross stands at the pinnacle and Jesus says, everything that was done, every sacrifice that was made, every lamb that was slain pointed to me. And Jesus points to the future and he says, everything that's done is mine. It's coming to me. We we look to the cross of Christ and leading us to the cross of Christ, the Spirit of God shows us that Jesus died for my sin. So that I would not have to die in my sin, but so that I could die to my sin. You know, I have a sermon that I usually preach at funerals. And it's, the, it's, it's from the book of, of Luke, where it says that Jesus was taken and crucified and, and two criminals were crucified with him. And, you know, if you remember the story, the two criminals are hanging there. One of the criminals looks at him and says, hey, if you're truly the son of God, get us down from here. Save yourself and then save us. And the other criminal says to him, don't you know who you're talking to? This man's done nothing. We're guilty of our crime, but he's done nothing. And then he says those beautiful words. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Now, here's a man hanging on a cross, crucified. He's been beaten. And you know what? The book of Isaiah tells us that Jesus was beaten so badly that if you had seen him, you wouldn't know if he was a man or an animal. But in the midst of his suffering, he looks at that man and says, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, do you see what happened on that cross? We had one in the middle who was dying for sin. And we had one on one side who died in his sin and one on one side who died to his sin. And that's where we are. Which side are you on? You're one of these two. You will die in your sin or you will die to your sin. And the Spirit of God puts to death sin in the believer by pointing us to the cross. But how can we know if we're killing sin? Well, it's very easy. By the weakening of its power in your life. As I said a while ago, there are some sinful habits that day by day I'm overcoming by the power of the Spirit, by putting it to death, by giving living into my flesh, by not living according to my fleshly lustful desires, by not giving in to the temptations that, that bombard us every single day but by looking at the cross of Christ as a savior as a savior that that came and died for his own you know peter was one of jesus inner circle He had twelve disciples, but Peter, James, and John went everywhere Jesus did. They, they they, They were privy to everything that happened. Whereas the others were not sometimes. And Peter, he was, he had a he had that foot and mouth disease. Because he would often open his mouth when he should have kept it shut. He was impetuous. But he loved the Lord. And before Peter, when he said, Lord, even if they all leave you, I will never leave you. And it was not too long after that, three times he says, I don't know him. I don't know the man. He even cursed and said, please stop saying that I'm with him. I don't know him. But later, Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been risen from the dead. And we find Peter humbly at Jesus' feet saying, Lord, you know I love you. (laughs) Lord, you know. You know, it's an interesting thing too. Three times Peter said, I don't know him. Later on, walking on the beach with Jesus after the resurrection, three times Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. This is the difference that it makes. Peter learned how to kill sin in in his life. And the more times we spend at the feet of Christ and bowing before him and staying in his word, the more sin will appeal to us. You know, the prophet Isaiah, in in Isaiah chapter 6, one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible, is Isaiah stands before the very throne of God. And he sees this almost unbelievable scene of God sitting on his throne. But Isaiah didn't see any of that. You know what Isaiah saw? He saw it. He said, oh, woe is me. (laughs) I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. And the point that I'm making here is when you're in the presence of God... Your sin will be immediately visible in your life. The Bible tells us that it is our sin that separates us from God. So by staying in the Word, Jesus in John 17 17, and Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, by them through your Word, through the truth. Your Word is truth. Sanctify them. The truth as it is in Christ, revealed more clearly to the mind and impressed more deeply on the heart, transforms our souls to hate sin. Are you killing sin daily in your life? Does the Lord Jesus becoming increasingly... Does does pleasing God become more of a priority in your life rather than pleasing yourself or anyone else? You know, I find one of the things that that, that a lot of preachers, and I I have been here, so I'm not pointing a finger at anybody else, is a lot of times we get caught up in trying to please everybody else thinking we're pleasing God by doing that. You know, preaching sermons that people don't really want to hear. Preaching sermons we know are going to make people mad at us. (laughs) Trying to please you rather than trying to please God. And the point, and, and I say that because we need to understand that every single day, Christ must become more precious to us. Are you. Becoming more poor in spirit. Jesus said, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Do you recognize your spiritual poverty? That that you have nothing. You're poor, blind, and naked. And dead without Christ. Do we see our vileness? Do we see our weakness? Do we see our total unworthiness before God? That's what Isaiah saw standing in the presence of God. We can never look for our sanctification from within. We can only look for it in Christ. Everything points to Christ. He is as much our sanctification as He is our righteousness. And our comfort and our hope do not come in our fruitfulness or our putting our sin to death, but solely and entirely from the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking unto Christ, the author and the finisher of our hope, of our salvation, of our faith. That's what the writer to the Hebrews tells us in Hebrews 12. Where are you looking this morning? What does your sin mean to you? Are you daily seeking to please God because you love God? You don't please Him so that He will love you. You please Him because He loves you. But are you seeking to do that? Paul says, but if you, by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You will live. Let me ask you a question. To those of you here this morning that are saved, have you ever thought about the fact that you will never Die. You'll never die. Do you realize that a hundred million, billion, trillion years from now, I will still be alive. As a matter of fact, by that time, I will be even more alive than I am now because I'll be in the presence of Christ. Jesus said, whoever lives and believes in me, even if he dies, he still lives. This body may die. Okay? You see, this body's not who I am. This body is just a house or the tent that I live in. And Paul says that we know that our outward man is perishing day by day. And I'm finding out, you know, I'm, 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 I think 59, I'm going to be 59 years old. And I'm finding that once I got past 50, it was all downhill. On a roller coaster. I used to think I could live forever. Now, I want to tell you something. We will exist forever. But you will not all live forever. There will be countless billions that will exist forever in eternal torment of hell because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, you know that's the only sin God will ever judge you for? God will not judge you for being an adulterer or a murderer or a drug addict or an alcoholic. God will only judge you for rejection of Christ. Because unbelief is the mother of all sin. But Paul says that if you put to death the deeds of the body, you know what that means? That means you're saved. And if you're not putting to death the deeds of the body, that means you're not saved. It's just that simple. Now, some are going to do it more than others, but the fact is it will be done. Where will we be? Will you be alive? Will you by the flesh, living according to the flesh, will you die eternally in hell? Or by living according to the Spirit and putting to death the deeds of the body, will you live eternally with Christ? Let's pray. Father, Lord, as we come to you this morning, we thank you, Father. Thank you that you have done what we could not do for ourselves. We thank you, Father, that by your Spirit we have the power to put the the deeds of the body to death. Father, I pray that each of us would learn to hate sin more and more every day, that there would be a weakening of its power more and more every day as we walk closer to Christ, as we learn to live and abide in Him. Father, this morning as we come to the table, Father, may we remember the price that Jesus has paid for our salvation. Father, that our redemption cost Him His life and His blood. But Father, help us to also remember that Jesus said, do this until I come. That He's alive and that Jesus will return. So Father, thank you for this opportunity for us to share the gospel through the Lord's Supper. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to take just a moment before we come...